want to encourage you, if you, uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be, we're, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and I want to remind you that the, the series that we're looking at right now, we're going we're gonna to have another week that we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes, and then we're going to take a pause for Advent, and we'll come back to it after the first of the year, but looking at the nine Full Pathway of Jesus, which is a, a, a book that I've been leaning heavily into by Mark Scandrett. And part of why he wrote this, it's, it's just a curious thing. Part of why he wrote it was birthed out of a conversation that occurred with him, between him and uh, I believe it was a Shinto priest that he was befriending in a coffee shop. And, and he asked this man a question, you know, what are the things that guide your life? And, you know, immediately he just said, here's the seven things that I, I remind myself of every day. And I, I, he, he said that the, the man asked him in response, well, Mark, what, what, do you dis, what, what guides your life each day? And he, he was struck by the fact that he wasn't able to answer that question very clearly. Um, and as a Christian growing up, I, I, I would say that many times you know, if you say, well, what defines your faith? And usually, for me, and again, I, you know, I come out of some theological training, so right, you know, we're going to talk about, like, I'm Christological in my viewpoints. I believe in God's gift of bringing forgiveness to, uh, to sin, that God has chosen to relate to man not on the basis of his sin, but on his love for us. I'm able to enunciate some of those things, but like, what choices, what, what is it that you want to give yourself to live by? And so the, out of that uh, conversation, Mark shares that he began to sit down and look at the Beatitudes and began to see a pattern. And so that's what we've been looking at. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we, and he invites us to a, kind of a posturing of our heart and literally of our body. So that rather than, you know, clinged hands, that, that blessed are the poor in spirit is really about the way of trust, living with open hands. Um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He, talking about the way of lament, that it really has its place in the kingdom of God and as a follower of Jesus, that we learn what it means to walk in the way of lament. Last week, we looked at the way of humility. And blessed are, are the gentle or the meek, and that we literally bow to the source of our life and to the dignity of one another and our own lives. And so this week we're going to be looking at the way, the way of justice um, out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I want to begin this morning by uh, sharing a story that comes, it's adapted from Lauren Isley's uh, book called The Star Thrower. Maybe you're familiar with this story, maybe you've heard it. Once upon a time there was an old man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking the beach every morning before he began his work. Early one morning, he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed and found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions. Off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy. And as the boy walked, he paused every so often. And, and as he came closer, the man could see that occasionally he was bending down to pick up an object and throw it into the sea. 
The boy finally came close enough, and the man called out, good morning. May I ask what it is that you're doing? The boy paused, looked up, and replied, throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach, and they can't return to the sea by themselves. When the sun gets high, they'll die unless I throw them back in the water. The old man replied, there are literally thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you won't really be able to make that much of a difference. The boy bent down, picked up yet another starfish, threw it as far as he could into the ocean. Then he turned and smiled and said, it made a difference to that one. The old man looked at the boy inquisitively and thought, and inspired, started to join the little boy, throwing starfish back into the sea. Soon, others joined. And as the story would be told, all of the starfish were saved. Again, that's a story. But what the story does is it tells a powerful truth about ourselves and about how we view the world around us, and especially needs around us. Because the truth is, we live in an overwhelming uh, time frame. I, most of us, and I've shared this before, we, we receive more information in a 24-hour news cycle than our forefathers would have ever, ever heard about in a nearly in a year's time frame, right? In a, in a day. We hear about more difficulty and, and all kind of wars occurring over land rights, children starving because of, uh, of corrupt and, and unjust policies or governments, refugees struggling to survive and to make it. There are so many others marginalized, mistreated because of their race, their clan, uh, their class, their identity. It can be overwhelming. And, and as we listen to this and we hear the struggles and, and we sit there and think, I mean, how much, how could it get any worse? And then it does. And another storm hit where the last storm hit a month ago. I know that because my kids were underneath this one again. And when we're faced with challenges like this that are beyond our control, here's what happens for many of us. And it comes naturally. Please hear this. It's, it's a means of coping. It's so overwhelming. How can I possibly do anything to make any kind of a dent in the need that's there? And so there's this sense in which we not only become discouraged, but we just avoid it altogether. Shrug our shoulders. I mean, what, what difference will it make? Even worse, it can manifest some other things in us, like depression, procrastination, failure to ask for or to give help when needed. See, that's the truth that this old man walking down the beach It's not that he was a mean person. 
It's that he took the posture that most of us do when we see overwhelming need. We feel utterly powerless. What can I possibly do? What can one person possibly do? And we embrace a posture of passive indifference, shrugging our shoulders. Now, let me add to this that there's an additional difficulty with this for many of us that grew up in Western evangelicalism. That's me. Let me add to this. Because we had formed theological frameworks that reinforced our indifference. Like this, we have a, formed a theology about distance and delay, that the kingdom of God is out there. God forgives us, but the kingdom is, boy, it's going to be great when we get there. Um, and, and you know, this world, oh, it's a mess. And, and aren't there verses that say the whole thing is going to get burned up? And, you know, I'm really glad, Pastor, that I'm going to be raptured out of here before it gets all that terrible. All right, guys, I th- I th- one of you got, one of y'all probably might need to meet there. Um, I mean, I've literally heard, I've literally heard those words said to me. No expectation for justice to be encountered in the moment. And, and then we get this sort of what I, you know, the, the big word for it is this bifurcation in our theology where we see the sacred and the secular. And we begin to live our lives sort of out of that posture. So, you know, we can never expect anything from the world but to be in a mess. But in the realm of the sacred, we hold things dear. And we look for the justice of God to forgive us and to, to give us the hope of heaven. But we never expect anything to be changed out here or us to be a part of that. And with those kind of course headings, we reduce the gospel down to sin and sin management. And then anyone who began to invite followers of Jesus like me to consider things like justice for the poor, criminal justice, racial inequality, Guys, I, I'm not kidding when I say I've, I, I, I've heard this said to me, quoted to me. Didn't Jesus say the poor will always be among you? As an excuse to not respond. And see, in my training, we had a name for those kind of people. You know, those, those folks that all they care about is the social gospel. That's the label that we gave them. They're they're social justice warriors, seemingly concerned about doing nothing but caring for people's social needs. But we care about their eternal needs. You probably see, I'm getting a little feedback from the front row here. (laughs) Because, see, there's this inherent assumption in that sort of posturing that Eternal salvation and justice are two different things. So, 
you know, we read the words translated in most of our Bibles. This is how I read it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, verse 6. That's how I memorized it. Or be filled out of the NIV. That's how I originally memorized it. So I internalized that message, hear me, as a, as a call to personal purity. You know, don't, don't cuss, don't dance, don't go out with girls that do. I'm being silly there, but you, you get my point. We made it all about, like, you know, our personal piety and purity. But then there's this little problem that begins to happen. If you've been there, I, I want to invite you into a little problematic looking at the Scripture. Here's the problem. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, that I give myself to purity. And Jesus, Luke records Jesus saying in Luke 6, 21, the Beatitudes, according to Luke, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger now. for They will be satisfied. Luke seems to be communicating to us that Jesus was talking about people who actually were hungry. Luke seems to be saying Jesus had his finger on a justice issue of the day. There were those of the haves and the have-nots in first century. Yep, absolutely. And here's where it gets really interesting. I invite you to do this if you just go for it. Go, go, go on the whatever, whatever version that you use, whether you use Bible Hub or whether you use the Blue Letter Bible Online. If you want to do either one of those, you're going to wind up at the same spot. Look at Matthew 5, 6, and look at the original word for righteousness. Its first and foremost definition is justice. So I want you guys to know that when I pray that, Beatitude in my life, what I proclaim is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be satisfied. See, when we've had views of the gospel that focus on sin and sin management, we might be a little bit off. Yeah, we are. And so if we, if we sit and think, well, you know, what, what, what was the gospel all about anyway? Interesting. The, the, the prayer of the week this last week, there's a new one this week, but from last week, out of the common book of prayer, listen to this. This was the prayer that was prayed every day. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, right? That's, these are Bible verses, right? And make us children of God. Oh, that's verse 1 of 1 John 3. And heirs of eternal life. Oh, wait, that's in there as well. It's not yet appeared what we will be. Grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. So, beloved, I want to, let, let's, let's put our thinking cap on for a moment and consider this, that the gospel, this word righteousness, justice, Jesus comes into the world. According to his own words, I've come that you would have life and have it to the full. 
And, and then, oh, wait, John says he appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he comes to restore, to redeem man to his rightful place. What was that place again? See, for, out of much of my evangelical background, my, my thinking started in Genesis 3 when, sin, when, when, when man and Satan fall. Jesus come to forgive you of your sin. Isn't that good news? That is good news. But he came to restore you to Genesis 1 and 2. Fellowship and relationship and representation. You see, in fact, let's just, let's just go back a little bit farther. Genesis 1, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the darkness, the chaos, the disorder, the non-life. The first words of God. The Spirit of God is hovering the first words of Jesus, okay, these are, these, this is the dream of God the Father. According to Paul in Colossians 2, everything came forth. He spoke that into being, Colossians 2. It came from him, through him, and by him, okay? So, um, so Jesus proclaims, let there be light. Boom, light. Life, order, beauty. Man and Satan fall. Where's man in a mess, surrounded by chaos, darkness, and death? Sounds familiar. And Jesus puts on a, a human suit forever and says again, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me would have Life, eternal. Out of him would flow rivers of living water. Wait, Jesus, you're, you seem to be using language that talks about re being restored to something that began way back when. Yeah, that's, that's the gospel. He destroyed the works of the devil to make us children of God. 1 John 3, 1 and following. And that's what we are. It is yet to appear what you will be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's far more than just personal piety, beloved. They'll be satisfied. We're talking about the way of justice, that God makes wrong things right. Beloved, the good news that Jesus reveals in this beatitude is that longing for light and life of heaven in a dark and dying world is the place where he reveals the kingdom. Think about this. Jesus is proclaiming to a nameless and powerless people, according to Luke, that are literally hungry, who felt helpless against the powers that dominated their lives. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So, beloved, here's what Jesus is proclaiming, that the reign of God is not going to be measured by power or dominance but rather by the revelation of heaven on earth in real lives, in real time, in self-giving love and forgiveness. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is justice for all. So that when I begin my prayer time in the morning and I say, Eternal God, maker of heaven and maker of all this, 
You came to bring justice to all of it. Justice to all who live under the weight of the works of the devil that manifest itself in shame, in hatred, in poverty, in despair, in darkness, disconnection, unforgiveness. See, to view the gospel as anything less than restorative to Genesis 1, beloved, is to miss what the Scripture declares that Jesus revealed in his life. Justice. I was reading another pastor whose name, her, her name is Molly Marshall, and she was writing on this text and made a direct reference to how at times we take our piety, and, and she makes a reference to Isaiah 58, okay, which some of you might be familiar with, but let, let me read what she wrote about this. She said, I believe it is a historic moment for the church, and it requires our best thinking and action. Consider Isaiah 58. It's hardly a a pastoral sermon of encouragement. Rather, the prophet thunders God's righteous judgment against the covenant people for their attention to their religious practices without attention to justice and mercy. The prophet outlines the way that the community is seeking God, demonstrating uh, that they didn't really understand God's ways. They're fasting, observing the Sabbath, yet doing nothing to alleviate the suffering of the oppressed. The prophet names them hungry, homeless, yoked to unfair systems, perhaps even relatives that they were ignoring. Now listen, this is the way this pastor writes this. Cultic rites directed toward God are not acceptable. The people of God are to demonstrate their love for God through concrete acts of mercy. As the Old Testament scholar Westerman puts it, helping to restore a person's freedom is more pleasing to God than mortifying one's flesh. Their religion, is what she's referring to those of Isaiah 58, of which they were proud, put them at a distance from true expression of righteousness. See, Jesus began his ministry, I want to remind us, comes out of the out of the wilderness temptations, 40 days. And he comes into his little hometown and walks into the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he rolls it open to Isaiah 61, Luke 4, 17 to 19. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom to the captive, open eyes to the blind, that the, that the poor would have the gospel preached to them. And then he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Beloved, the gospel is about justice. It's not a religious formula to fix our sin problem and give us a ticket to heaven. It's actually, actually a posture to live from. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is part of why I'm really appreciating just taking some time to pause. and let's Think about the Beatitudes, the posture of my life. I'm invited to move from a sort of shrugged shoulders. It's overwhelming the world around. You're right, it is. What difference can I make? What difference will it make? And Jesus says, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for justice, who let it touch their heart and their life, who recognize that there is a posture that they can embrace that's actually powerful, that reveals the kingdom of God in my little space.
that recognizes God's given me agency. And he invites me to participate in the kingdom in real time in my life. So what does that look like? Well, uh, let me refer to one quick story. It's not a quick one. But it's, it's worthy of your time. Jesus, I, I love the way that Luke records this in Luke 18. He said, when he wanted to teach his friends to pray and not give up, which means Jesus knows that there are times that we'll want to give up. Never forget that. Okay? And he tells the story of the unjust judge. And this woman who comes before the unrighteous judge, the unjust, unrighteous, same word, by the way, that Luke uses there. And she's following after him, crying out, justice, justice, give me justice. And, um, and Jesus said, you know, this unjust judge says, I, I don't, this woman is wearing me out. <laughs> and, it, you know, I'm going to give her justice. And Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Will not God bring about justice, same word, root word, for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And the wording that Jesus uses there communicates what Jewish people understand in their culture as chutzpah, literally grabbing somebody by the lapel. Now, for her, she's this, you know, in my mind's eye, this little old <laughs> Jewish woman bent over, and she get her hand on his cloak. She's saying, Justice! It's like, oh, tradition says you're allowed to do this to me, but I'm, I'm just going to ignore you till I get home. Justice, justice. Finally, he's just tired of it. And Jesus said, you want an example? And then he said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? By, beloved, that, that, that word that Jesus is talking about there, you know, will he find faith, isn't whether or not you'll be able to correctly answer a theological question. You know, what's your systematic theology look like? Answer the question. But faithfulness to live in the reign of God in my life. That's what this faithfulness is about. That the reign of God in my life is not about power systems and dominant systems, but believing that I'm giving myself in the midst of overwhelming circumstances around me, that I'm believing that in my sphere I will give myself to the power that God has given to me, which is to love others. And the posture that Mark Scandrett invites us to is from shrugged shoulders to actually maybe crossing our arms to recognizing, oh God, the power that you've given to me, I embrace it to participate with you to move from apathy to agency. So how do I own my agency? How do I see the, the, the kingdom of God revealed? I'll just share with you a few things of coming out of my own life, okay? Um, and I, I'll just submit them as, as part of my own journey. And, and uh, not as a checkoff thing, but just saying it's been, it's been transformative. One is this. I've made it a daily part of my life, almost every day, to pray through the Beatitudes, it's been so formative for me because what I'm recognizing is that I'm, I'm talking about the posture that I want to take out of my heart, okay? Theological truth matters, 
Yes, we want to we remain sound in our theology, but beloved, as I surrender, as I begin to pray these beatitudes, so I just encourage you, as you can give that consideration, surrender to the reality that the kingdom is best displayed in human lives, that is surrendered to the work of the cross. What's the cross all about? Self-giving love and forgiveness. Oh, yeah, that's the goal of my life. It is. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to follow me here so that resurrection life could be seen. That means that I, I might see the havoc of the world around me. And, and two things I want to I say about that. One is that I don't look at the havoc around me and say, that's them, but that I recognize it's not them, it's actually the works of the devil. Okay, that's why Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? There actually are systems at work to bring harm to mankind, the works of the devil. And the, what do they look like? They look like despair, darkness, disconnection, the stuff that haunts many people's lives. And it's okay to name it. That's the unjust work of hell. I'm not calling that person, okay? But I'm just recognizing, oh, man, that's hell at work. Beloved bombs aimed at infrastructure to intentionally cause people to have to live without heat in the middle of winter, that's evil. That's, that's the work of hell. That's the works of the devil. Now, that one's easy to name. But, Lord, I want to see it in front of me. I want to, I want to just, and then, Lord, bless for those who thirst and hunger for justice. Lord, what, what, how, how do I do that? Okay, so I begin to pray into this. I'm recognizing there's stuff at work. It's still there. But I want to hunger, this is the second thing, I want to hunger for justice. So this is about recognizing that the mess that I'm looking at, Jesus looked at. Okay? And it's why he came. And when he came, he said, repent and believe it's here. The kingdom is here. A lot of people are like, "What? you're just... You sure about that, Jesus? You're just a carpenter's son. I know who, where you grew up. We're looking for a big old political leader. So part of me surrendering to the way of justice is allowing that longing for justice to touch my heart. And, uh, guys, it is way easier to take the shrugged shoulders, powerless position, you know, that posture of futility, um, and, and to look at pain that's occurring around me and say, yep, that's because there needs to be a change in, in policies or politics. But what if, what if I just stop right there and say, Lord, here's the truth. You never intended mankind to live this way. Let your kingdom come. So the, the part of this is letting that longing touch me, and it's, that's an uncomfortable choice, guys. The, the, I'm living from a posture of allowing pain to come near, to feel that. And then to begin to own my agency. So I'm a child of God. I've been raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Jesus Christ, you are a liberator. Oh, wait, so my own agency means that I get to walk with you as a liberator. What does that look like? That means that I make every choice to live from the love of God revealed in Christ and that every time I make that choice, it matters. It matters. Well, who, that, what, what, what about that 
election thing. What about it? I want to live from the place of embracing the justice of God. I want to slow down, name injustice. And by the way, part of this means standing with the oppressed without having to untangle and figure everything out. Um, you know, I, I, I shared this a couple of times that um, a couple of years back when the, the part of the, the Black Lives Movement has begun to, to have a, a groundswell. And then there was, you know, this reaction. It's like, you know, what are you saying? All lives matter. And, and then I sat and thought, wait, that's doing that same thing. Lord, I, I, I just want to ask you, help me live from a posture that says, there's somebody that's experiencing injustice. Therefore, I just want to stand with them. I want to hear what's going on in their life. See, the gospel power is best displayed not, hear me, in how awesome our meetings have been or our programs are carried out. The gospel power is best displayed in how I relate to others around me. Amen? So, let me, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit out of Mark's book. These are some of the things he shared. And um, he says, you know, I, I just sat down with a piece of paper. <clears throat> I want to, what kind of world do I want to live in? So he said, here's a few examples. I want to live in a world where everyone has the basic resources they need to thrive. So one thing I can do is adopt consumption limits and a standard of living that can be shared by most people on the planet rather than just a few. Number two, I want to live in a world where future generations can have an inhabitable planet to live on. So one thing I can do is limit my fossil fuel usage, reduce waste. Uh, I want to live in a world where women are treated with dignity and their voices are respected. So one thing I can do is listen with humility and amplify the important contributions of women I know. That's, that one has hit me deeply a lot in the last few years. I want to live in a world where people of every class and race are welcomed, included, and given opportunities. So one thing I can do is prioritize friendships and mark partnerships with people whose race and class and backgrounds are different than my own. Learn from the wisdom and experience uh, of minority voices. I want to live in a world where workers are paid a just wage for their labor. So one thing I can do is buy products that are fair trade and slave-free. Advocate for equitable wages in the workplace. So these are just a few of them that he uh, specifically names is that come out of saying, Lord, I want to hunger for justice. Not just say, well, you know, it is what it is. Capitalism isn't the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. Okay? Chutzpah. Third point I want to point. Chutzpah faithfulness. Now, I named this out of Luke 18. That means that my small steps matter. Jesus comes to the earth and he proclaims. Now, remember, beginning in Genesis 1, he proclaims light, life, order, beauty. And when he comes on the earth again, okay, this time with a human frame on, he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm life to a dark and dying world. 
Now, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Uh, Just go a few more verses. Like, what, seven more? Verse 13. Jesus knows who he is, and then he says, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt, civilizations literally have been made or lost at the presence or absence of salt. There's a lot to be said there. Perhaps one of the most vital postures of spiritual warfare is to clearly see the impact of your actual presence. Your presence, not what spooky other things are there, your presence. And I'm not minimizing other things. I've been, I, I believe that that's true, okay? But what I'm saying is we've minimized the truth of spiritual warfare, not shrugging my shoulders. I mean, talk about shrugging my shoulders. I, I, I've had individuals that have come up to me literally and said, you know, uh, so there, there's some awful thing happening in a person's body that's manifesting, and they're like, you come and fix it. I'm like, We're no less children of God here. It's Jesus who comes to bring men and set men and women free. I don't have some special key. Are you hearing me? All right. Your presence, salt, light. So not passively shrugging our shoulders at injustice, but a liberated child embracing the power of proclaiming there's another way to live. Here's what it looks like. Salt and light. Self-giving love and forgiveness. That Jesus demonstrated in his life that I can live it out of me. That I begin to proclaim justice upon the earth. Do you know how much difference your choices make? I want to defer to my wife. I try to tell her this regularly, how much she has taught me. Our invitation is to participation. Could it be that this is the very place that the kingdom becomes most visible in the choices that I make in real time? And I believe it is. Because a little bit later, Jesus says in everything, Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So stand for the way of justice, and you will be filled. Beloved, the good news that Jesus reveals in this beatitude is that longing for the light and life of heaven in a dark and dying world is the place where he reveals the kingdom. The reign of God is not measured by power and dominance, but rather by the revelation of heaven on earth in real lives, in real time, in self-giving love, forgiveness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. I want to invite you to a closing prayer with me. So would you all stand with me? And uh, and then we're going to come to close, come to the, the table here in just a moment. Would you pray this prayer with me? Let's stand together and, and pray this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings, especially for giving us hope through the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that all people will be treated justly. 
instilling in us the love for all our neighbors and in all that is good and right. Continuing to give us your grace to live and act with trust and faith in your ultimate plan for all. We pray that you will give us the awareness of justice issues such as fair wages, equal housing, access to services, right to life, corporal punishment, refugees, the disabled or aged. The wisdom and courage to develop and implement public policy that is sensitive to these issues and protect the health and safety and dignity of all. A rededication to our desire and commitment to stand up for those who cannot stand on their own. Strength to be persistent in our daily interactions, to see others with the eyes of Christ and act accordingly, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.